0: Welcome to episode 10 of Islington Mill and the monthly podcast series about the cultural life and times of one of the UK's most beloved artist-led creative hubs, Salford's Islington Mill. For this month's episode of Islington Mill and I've spoken to Nick Spaulding who runs both the Mirage Bar and Norwich Ultra Hybrid. Mirage Bar being the new bar that's popped up on the ground floor of Islington Mill that um, casts an eerie but lovely pink and purplish neon glow into the night out the new windows that are on the first floor of Islington Mills main building. And Lured Ultra Hybrid is where Mirage Bar was based before on the the fridge building on unit two behind Islington Mill, where a lot of the parties have been happening over the last kind of year, year and a half before Partizans moved into the club space on the ground floor of Islington Mill. So these are two distinct entities, but they're very they share a lot of similarities and they're both run by Nick and his business and crime partner Pat Butcher, aka Pam St. Clements. I'll be um, giving you a lot more information. Well it'll be Nick who'll be giving you all the download and all the info and how he came to work in such troubled circumstances with the legendary Pat Butcher. Both Lourdes Ultra Hybrid and Mirage Bar have done a lot to bring back a great sense of fun to Islington Mill, especially over the last wee while, while all the construction has been still going on and dragging on and on, it seems. So it was a real pleasure to sit down with Nick in the actual Mirage Bar, which used to be the gallery space on the ground floor of Islington Mill. And now, as I mentioned previously, it's had the windows put in, which have made such a massive difference as now The general public and random passers-by can actually see into Islington Mill from the street, which is quite a new thing that in the 20-25 year history of the building hasn't really happened before. So I sat down with Nick in Mirage Bar itself on Tuesday, the 21st of February. So it's a very recent interview this. And yeah, we've got a lot to chat about, a lot to chat about Nick's background, about the aesthetics of the bar and also what he's hoping to achieve with it being based in his Mill. No. So, without further ado, I'm going to hand myself back over to myself, speaking to Nick Spaulding about Lured Ultra Hybrid and Mirage Bar.
1: Rolling. We go. Let's do it!
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I'm here with Nick in Mirage Bar Two, which is on the ground floor of Islington Mill. How
1: are you doing, Nick? You're right? oh, I'm very well, thank you very much.
0: Good. Yeah, no, I'm having fun. <laughs> cool, cool. We're already having fun. We've only just begun. <laughs> we've done a few apples, haven't we? We've yeah, we've we in. a few <laughs> apples in. Um, can you tell me what what is Mirage Bar and like what is Lured Ultra Hybrid? What is Mirage Bar? Take me through the history of what this is.
1: So Mirage Bar is a queer cocktail bar formerly owned by Pat Butcher. Oh, actually, though now currently owned by... The full story is she's owning it again now. Um, Lurid Ultra Hybrid is a queer gay club, or queer club, out in the desert, uh, which is in Unit 2 in Islington Mill. Mm-hmm. And Mirage Bar is in... Um, the main building is Linton Mill, and it's open to the public in the way that it's... Lurid Ultra Hybrid is only really open for events, specific events. Okay. But uh, this is open to the public every Friday night from 7 to 11pm for two for one daiquiris. Cool. So it's pretty cheap, and it's just a good place for queer people and all people to meet up and have fun on a Friday night, basically.
0: Cool. So which came first, Lurid Ultra Hybrid or Mirage Bar?
1: Mirage came first. <clears throat> so Mirage, uh, the first Mir- version of Mirage was at Fat Out Fest... Uh, two years ago and that was in the fridge at that time that was a really good version it was quite a pure version of it Mm. because the fridge is a gorgeous blank canvas and anyone Mm. that knows it um, has probably seen so many different things look beautiful in there Mm. uh, because it really shows them off and I've said this to to many people but it's the space I've been dreaming of for about 10 years the fridge is just a gorgeous space Mm. Um, yeah I love it so um, but Lurid Ultra Hybrid is for more kind of pumping club nights and gigs, cabaret. Uh, We've had all sorts of different things in there. Mm. um, It's a very extremely versatile space Mm. for events. And then Mirage Bar is Pat Butcher's, it's a kind of condensed version, I guess, of um of the club in that it's just more kind of sleepy chill out place that people can crucially meet in because i wanted it to be a place that queer people can meet Mm. all the time and i noticed that they weren't it wasn't happening in the club people came in their groups and then left Mm. in their groups Uh, which was fine because that's probably the nature of, of the club but it's such a big space it's very difficult for people to actually meet yeah and but in mirage I've seen it already. Mm-hmm. People are really meeting and chatting and getting to know each other, and that's what the project was all about. So, this has been a really successful version of it, and I'm really excited about the, the future of the project in this space. I think it's cool. Before we get to the future,
0: though, mm. how did the hookup with Fato and then Islington Mill for Mirage version 1 happen?
1: Right. I mean, it's quite a long story. Good, um, we're here for long stories. For yeah. Long- right, yeah. 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 We are. So I'll probably, I'll start at the beginning, uh, but this project is something that I've had in my head for about 10 years. And uh, I lived in a warehouse in Bermondsey called Wild's Rents, where we used to have really big silly parties where we dressed up loads and kind of made weird drinks. And just, it was just very, very silly Mm. basically. And there's quite a lot of gay people in that building, in that living space. And we all probably wanted a gay club, a queer club or a queer bar that we felt was our kind of place. Mm. And so I guess we put on just lots of nights, generally. But it's not necessarily nights, but events there. It was just a very busy event, place for, for parties and stuff. Mm. And, uh, yeah, I think we, we just all wanted a non-mainstream gay bar or gay club where mm. we could hang out, really. Mm-hmm. And there wasn't really one in... London that I knew of, mm. but we'd all been to Roses in Berlin, which was basically a place of pilgrimage for. Oh, yeah. <laughs> for I've been those. there. Yeah, it's yeah. Great. Isn't yeah, it? yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. <laughs> so good. Yeah, it's one of those places that people who come back from Berlin talk about. Yeah, isn't it? Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: And then, so you tell your mates, and then they're all like, I'm going to Berlin because I want to go to Roses. Yeah, yeah. And so I'm hoping that this, one day, I mean, maybe it's a pipe dream, but mm. would be a, a UK version of mm. Roses. Mm. Like a weirdo gay club, a weirdo gay bar. Yeah. Um, that, that non-mainstream gay people feel it speaks to them, and it's yeah. their kind of a place. Yeah, yeah. And they can, you know... I just wanted a good gay bar, basically. Why are they all so basic? Yeah, <laughs> I just yeah, don't it, get it.
0: It is true. Um, so how did the hook-up with Fat Out happen, then? Oh, sorry, yeah, I didn't say yeah. that.
1: Yeah, so that happened. So we did Pride is a Protest in Unit 2 with Partisan. Cause I'd, actually, I've worked done loads of work with Partisan before doing sets for fatty acid. That's mm. kind of where I started and got into, mm-hmm. um, into the queer scene, is by doing the set for Let's fatty just acid.
0: put a pin on that. Mm-hmm. You were living in London. Yeah. So how did you end up in Manchester and Salford then?
1: Oh, good point. Right. So I work, my day job is for, or oh, at that time was almost exclusively for CBBC. It's now kind of I work on many different telly shows, doing the props for for them. Okay. Props and set Setting and props is what I do. Mm-hmm. And CBBC obviously moved up here, and I'd always wanted to work for CBBC, so I followed followed up. Though not, um, I didn't move up when CBBC came up here. Mm-hmm. Uh, I kind of came later. basically. Okay. Yeah. And then, Fato, how did that happen? Uh, so, that was with three parts down. We were doing Pride as a protest mm-hmm. in Unit 2, and I did um, an art show. The first event for Lurid Ultra Hybrid was an art show called Cloudburst. It, that was within Pride as a po- protest, and I just got lots of my pals, and we put on a really great art show, basically. Mm-hmm. And it, was, it had like a nice uh, fun vibe and also we made daiquiris for the first time then but not very successfully actually it turned out because I couldn't work the machine <laughs> at that time but then I got a bit better at it uh, and yeah and so then so, uh, so at the end of that at the end of Fat Out no the, the end of Pride is a protest Emma asked me if I would like to um, help out on Fat Out Fest and do something for Fat Out Fest mm-hmm. and so that's when we started talking about uh, me using the fridge to do an art exhibition, basically, Okay. for fat Fest. And, the, yeah, the thing that I was dreaming of at that time was this cocktail bar owned by Pat Butcher. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, how did you meet Pat? How did Pat get involved
0: in the Rue Mirage Bar? we well, say so me and Pat go
1: way back, actually. Oh, yeah. I mean, <laughs> in, in real life, just I loved senders when I was about 13 mm. and I was just obsessed with it. I
0: mean, she's an icon. Isn't
1: she? She's like,
0: incredible. <laughs> hands down, hands down, one of the all-time Great British... People, people, but also I don't know how would you describe our aesthetic, like butch femme. I don't yeah, know how I do. to like. I don't know how to describe it, but yeah, I don't know. Just for the benefit of people, okay, this is a good question for the benefit of people who may be listening to this in, outside the UK. Tell us who Pat Butcher is. Right. <laughs> so Pat Butcher is um, probably
1: well for a lot of people that one of the most east fa- one of the most famous East ever. So a character in East Enders uh, who has. Uh, she's, uh, so when I think of Pat I think of like a defiant bitch mm-hmm. she just doesn't take any shit and she looks amazing mm-hmm. and that's what I love about her mm. and so yeah the, Pat's character is quite glamorous but with a history yeah and yeah what else could I say about her
0: I feel like it's, it's interesting that you said glamorous because I think that's what I'm trying to she fits very much into that kind of hard glamour yeah, mold, hard glamour, and um, the other people that I think of who are like that as well. There was a character in Carnation Street who not the same as Pat, but um, but basically for me as well. Like Pat's got a very dykey vibe, for want of a yeah. better phrase. Yeah. She comes off as very lesbian in a really good way, but also her look is she's got short hair um, and she wears kind of harsh makeup, and she's kind of I don't know. She still is. Definitely a woman, but a woman who has a kind of masculine, I don't know how to describe it, but she's kind of like a butch woman, but she's still glamorous and stuff. And then there was the woman who, oh, she used to be in Coronation Street and now she's gone on to have a very good acting career of her own. Oh, yeah. um, I can't remember her name. She's in a TV show at the moment about police. She was, there was her and there was another one that were kind of similar, but they were much more feminine um but Pat to me always and also she's a large lady and as a big person I am always like it's great to see like big people on TV who are very not sad sacks basically and Pat was never a sad sack um yeah I don't know I, f- I find it very hard to describe Pat Butcher I'm just trying to think of other characters maybe but maybe what, what do you want
1: to expand on that like like Oh I think you, I think you got that really well actually yeah, <laughs> yeah I think that was quite quite right that
0: so how did, you, how did Pat get involved in, in Mirage? Let's so, get back to that.
1: So Pat is the owner of mm-hmm. Mirage, and well, the founder of Mirage, really. I'm just her apprentice. Okay. Um, so so to, to give the full story of the bar is that after nuclear winter, Pat Butcher went to the last fertile place on Earth, which was um, an oasis in the desert in Libya. Okay. And her plan was to set up queer utopia mm. out in the desert. And so she did do that. She set up this bar, called, and she called it Mirage. Then I became her apprentice, just helping her out, you know, sweeping the floor, that kind of business. And then on the night before Fat Out Fest, she went out for cigarettes and never came back and left me holding the bar. <sighs> I know. <laughs> I was heartbroken. Briefly. Briefly. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but actually, uh, quite soon after, I renamed the bar... Lurid Ultra Hybrid, and then turned it into a pumping gay club, which hopefully he's still doing now. Um, And then we caught up with Pat uh, the the next summer at Lowry's film, Telenovela, out in the car park, just outside Unit 2, Mm. Lurid Ultra Hybrid. And at that time, Pat was in prison in Rio for traffic offences. That that was the next time we saw her. Mm. And we're seeing her again now. Oh, in fact, actually, we did see we did see her briefly on the run. Uh, actually, at last beach, which was it sounds from the other city, and that was she had um, an incense den on the beach where Miami Vice was filmed, and because she was working as an extra on Miami Vice, mm-hmm. <laughs> and so that's that was actually the next time we got up with her. Mm-hmm. Um, And then we're now seeing her come back because she's out on parole. Now she's done her six months inside, she's out on parole. She's done her bird, she's done her cake, she's done her time. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and, and she's absolutely livid about what I've done with mm-hmm. her legacy. I've pissed it up the wall. And so she's opened a new version of Mirage in main building Islington Mill. Ah. And she, she wants to run me out of business. And yeah. it's got this, and she's doing that by opening from 7 o'clock to 11 o'clock every Friday night. Cool. There it is. Oh, I wouldn't like to get on the wrong side of
0: Pat to Be honest,
1: she'd get you, but yeah. she'd get you later. You wouldn't even know How it was her. Stealth, <laughs> yeah.
0: Ste- she'd super long- glue your locks. yeah, yeah, sorry. <laughs> she'd super glue your locks, oh, yeah, totally, and your car, yeah, the long game, <laughs> yeah. She'd do some very subtle, um, ID, some uh, very subtly take your identity and like use it for something, and then you won't find out for a couple of years. And you'll be like, What is this? Oh my god, oh my god, Pat, <laughs>
1: yeah, <laughs> and you'd know it was her, but you wouldn't be able to do anything about it, yeah, she's long gone. She,
0: yeah, she's gone. She's long gone. It's that's interesting as well because, like, reading through some of the promo material, um, and I was kind of like, Pam St Clements is the actress's name, yeah, isn't it? And I was kind of like, she's—is she dead? Yes, I think she's dead. But now you told me that to, she's not dead, and it's kind of a funny kind of like, she's such an iconic British character from mainstream British media, but. She, I don't know, how can how can she simultaneously be in my head? Oh, yeah, pa- I think Pam St. Clements is dead. But now we're finding out that she's not. But I think it's maybe got to do with the fact that Pat Butcher isn't around anymore. That you're kind of like, oh, is that person dead? Or maybe they are, because I don't see them on telly that much anymore. Um, yeah, I don't know where I'm going with this, but it's just an interesting yeah. thing to be like, is she alive or is she dead? And then coming here today, I assume Pat Sa- Pam St. Clements was dead but then you told me that she's not she's actually alive
1: yeah and that confusion between the character Pat Butcher and the reality of the actor uh, Pam St Clements is I find very exciting and so I'm definitely really up for um, like continuing that confusion and sometimes when I refer to Pat it's Pat yeah. or sometimes it's Pam St Clement. I think on the website it's Pam St Clement and Pat mm-hmm. s- like simultaneously mm-hmm. on different pages of the website. She's like one
0: them. of those she's one of those actresses actors that um just did the same role for so long that their life must have just morphed yeah. into that into that thing like and it is interesting as well because like uh like I said earlier she does Give a very lesbian vibe. She's got very short hair. She's quite butch, but quite like hard femme That kind of thing that it's really hard to articulate but queers know what I'm talking about Mm. that kind of thing and I always assumed I heard when I was a kid growing up that her partner was Moira Stewart
1: yeah I think that's actually not true
0: because okay. oh. I've, I've researched that
1: really heavily as well because I also thought the same thing and have been dining out on that story for yeah. ages yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then um, I thought I better just fact check this because I'm telling everybody this yeah. and then it's actually not true apparently, apparently
0: yeah I wonder where that came from though because that was really big like that's also kind of like hmm does that mean that Moira Stewart isn't gay I don't know not that it matters really but then, but then also, is Pam St. Cummins actually
1: gay? So, I think she's bisexual. Okay. And that's, that's what I've read online, so yeah. I think it's probably true.
0: She's also someone who comes from an era where she probably just wouldn't come out. Probably, yeah. Because, I don't know now, but do you know how old she is now?
1: She's in her 70s at least. Oh, I think probably 70s, but I'm not sure on that.
0: Yeah. I'm guessing 70s. She was also somebody who like, probably looked older than what she was.
1: yeah definitely
0: I think yeah. in something like a soap opera I think that's quite a common thing to just like you know get someone who yeah make them someone who will be able to play an old character for a long time <laughs> so they cast yeah. them younger yeah. and make them up to look older so that they're like oh she'll always be like over 50 for the next 20 years yeah. even if she was like in her late 30s when she did it if that makes sense,
1: absolutely. They, they've kind of got this like a t- almost timeless aesthetic, haven't they? That they're just yeah, like, they're always the same. They're just the yeah. same. <laughs> she never changed her style. <laughs> yeah.
0: She always had the same hair. Always had like big earrings were um, one of her trademarks. Mm. And I don't know. Whenever I see pictures of Pam, St. Clements, it's just like she just is Pat. Like she just still looks like that. It's like she had. She got the one look to do the role in EastEnders, and then yeah. just like, kept it for life. Absolutely, yeah.
1: yeah. It, you're never going to get a better role than that, I reckon.
0: Not, yeah, yeah, I guess not. For
1: me, maybe maybe not for an actor. Well, right? yeah, so I, think be, yeah. For me. I think
0: there'd be actors who would uh, contradict that. Oh, absolutely, yeah. But I sure also been. think, like, if she got, like, so, for people who don't know, her partner in the soap was Frank, Frank mm. Butcher, who mm. is quite iconic to me because he's oh, very right. daddy, he's the, very much the kind of daddy kind of character that I'm into. Mm. Um. And yeah, they must, like, if you're cast in a soap opera, but your character's a bit shit, it must be a a bit of a nightmare. But if you're cast as something like Pat, or someone like Pat, who has this other iconic partner, and you're portraying these people who are very kind of integral to British... We all know people like that. They're real, like, that's a real... Those kind of people, Pat and Frank, are, like, real British characters that you meet on the street and stuff, but you rarely see that on TV, I think, until basically... Enders came along and put them front and centre. Yeah. And that's, like, for that, for Pam St. Clements must have been, like, I don't know, I would imagine she was very happy with that because it's, like, an iconic character, a real, she'd get her teeth into it, something with real depth and gravitas, but at the same time some of the other characters on a British soap operas are just like, oh, God, what a nightmare if you, like, were cast as that. You wouldn't yeah. recover from that.
1: No. No, yeah. no, no, absolutely not. Mm.
0: Yeah. What is, like, what's your major attraction to Pam St. Clements?
1: I think, um... It's probably her fierceness, I mm-hmm. reckon. Mm-hmm. She's uncompromising. Yeah. And you would not win in a fight against her. Yeah. She would be fighting, you'd be out in the car park and she'd have a knife. Yeah, yeah. She's, she's going to fight dirty. Yeah. So, yeah, probably that. Like, yeah. you're not going to win against yeah. her. <laughs> and, and her. And her, her kind of relentless makeup. <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
0: Just- I'm just like, what I've been trying to say and trying to, it's really hard to articulate in words and to verbalize, is the look. Mm. Is the look that's simultaneously hard mm. and fierce, but also feminine in certain ways, like big earrings, animal print, harsh makeup, mm. almost draggy actually. It's almost like, a, almost like a parody of femininity in a way. Yeah. It's not really though, it's not like she's taken it, but she's not, it's just who she is. But it's just a really weird, and that's kind of what i trying... I still don't know how to to say it. It's easier if you see a picture of people like this, who I don't know how to just really blur the lines of like femininity and masculinity as well. I'd say yeah. It's really interesting. Like, and also I feel like in this age of like drag race and kind of the kind of male to female. Um. Not impersonation, because that's kind of a cliched phrase, but the kind of playfulness of males pretending to be females. Oh, yeah. I feel like there's not enough attention given to, you know, AFAB people who then inhabit a much more butch, masculine aesthetic and role than than there is about people who were born male who now inhabit very feminine roles and stuff. So I find Pat very interesting in that kind of like... You know, we are living in a society that queerness is becoming more and more accepted. But still, the kind of queerness that is getting a lot of attention is still very much based in femininity and prettiness and what passes as a pretty femme. Right. And Pat Butcher is definitely not that. Right. But she's still feminine. And she's still, like... wouldn't say she's pretty, but she's not ugly. Like, she's, like, attractive in that way. Hmm. Um, that's a just... Successful prostitute. Is she? She used to be. Really? I don't... <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm sure, like, I didn't, I had a phase of watching Easterners when I was a lot younger, but it doesn't, not, not a lot of it has really stuck with me. But, like, Pat and Frank, I mean, I'm just trying to think off the top of my head, like, Pat Butcher, Frank Butcher, and Barbara Windsor's character, they're the ones that I think about. The ones who got divorced, the famous Christmas divorce, that was before my time in the 80s, I think, when it first started. Oh, yeah. I think they're quite iconic as well. But, um... Is that Angie and Dan? Yes, Angie oh, and Dan. Yeah, very good. And then I also remember Patsy. Patsy oh, Palmer? Yeah. Patsy Palmer's amazing. Is Patsy Palmer the actress or the character, though? The actress. It's Bianca. 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 <laughs> Bianca. <laughs> and what was her boyfriend
1: called? Ricky. Ricky. Yeah. I've met Bianca. You've met her? Yeah. <laughs> yes, like. uh, she was fine. She was just an actress. Um, I mean, mm. she, was, yeah, she though she was a bit of a diva, um, but not really to me. So I didn't okay. uh, Yeah.
0: I always get her confused with the person who, Daniela Westbrook. We took so much cocaine in the 90s that their septum fell in.
1: Oh, love that, yeah. Yeah, do you remember that? Yeah, that's Michelle, I think. Right, okay. She's Grant and Phil's sister, I think, but not at the time I watched it. She's yeah. replaced by different actors Because yeah. I don't know who's probably... Yeah, <laughs>
0: probably. Mm. Yeah. Okay, that's good. <laughs> let's get <laughs> the away Can from these... more? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, if you want to.
1: Also- <laughs> no, no, no. No, no. no ask, ask me your questions. Okay.
0: So, um... So Pat set this up Mm. in response to you turning the first Mirage bar into Lord Ultra Hybrid. That's it. Yeah,
1: she doesn't like clubbing. She doesn't like clubbing. No way. But
0: obviously you do. Do you? Yeah, I love clubbing. Yeah. (laughs) So what was like? Yeah, you talked about like wanting to create a space where queer people could meet and stuff. Which you're saying now that the Mirage bar fulfills that bit better than Lord Ultra Hybrid because.
1: Yeah, because it's quieter and okay. it's more kind of compact. So people come in here and they talk to each other. Whereas, really, in Lurid, you go there to see the show mm. and then, well, you probably don't leave, but it's, you kind of filter out, I guess, after the event. But you're really there with your powers in Lurid. Or, well, I say you. I mean, people seem to be arriving with their groups of friends yeah. and then leaving with their groups of friends. I
0: think maybe what that is is because Lurid or is on the estate. And people don't aren't as uh, au fait with where the estate is and where the venue is on the estate. Um, so people rarely arrive there on their own. Oh, yeah. They, yeah, They, they will m- right. more likely rock up with groups of people because they don't know where they're going, so they might have a little adventure trying to find this place. And it's safer to do that on their own. Whereas here, right now, in Mirage 2, um, and this is something I want to talk about as well, we're right on the ground floor of Islington Mill. Yeah. So it's right beside the front door Absolutely. of Islington Mill. And I think that, like... Yeah, I mean, one thing that's worth talking about as well is these windows that are here, because this the space that we're in now. Just for the listeners, um, this used to be the gallery space, which is on the ground floor. So you walk in the front door, walk down the corridor, turn right, and you're here. Um, But it used to be just a dedicated gallery space with completely white walls on each side. But now this side where we're sitting, they've taken down the walls that were over the windows, and they've completely exposed. The windows windows and the ground floor, almost the full, well not quite, you can't see into the club space, but they've exposed some of the ground floor of Islington mill to the public, to anyone walking by, like it's a bit, I don't know, how do you, it's a bit weird for me to be in this room and have it flooded with daylight, it's really nice, right but like so many of my experiences of being in this room, either looking at shows or working here or whatever, it was just a white cube that could have almost been anywhere. Whereas now it's like I'm looking out, and there's the school there, and there's literally parents are coming up now, waiting for their kids to come out of the school, and yeah, I don't know. I mean, had you seen this place before?
1: Um, yes, I had visited it um, once for a show, or maybe twice actually. Mm. Uh, but as the before before the windows came in, and uh, I don't really have a lot of a like I don't have much of a memory of space if I'm honest. Uh, but th- I was aware that it was a gallery space, but I yeah. don't remember kind of how big it was or like what what I saw there or anything like that. Uh, but now it's it's a, an extremely prominent position. Mm. People can look in. Yeah. I'm really excited about that. Have you had any negative feedback because it's very exposed.
0: It's just to me it's a like it's very defining of the new era of Islington Mill that we're heading into. Mm. Because these windows that were traditionally like we did an event here. Oh God, it was a decade ago now, it makes me feel old, called Bummer Camp, and we put A0 letters in each of the windows here that said B-U-M-M-E-R-C-A-M-P, so it was like the whole thing was spelled out. Obviously, we couldn't do that now, because those those boarded-up window boards that we had put the thing on are gone now, and it's actually windows looking out, Um, but, you know, there's a school over there, and there's a lot of people around here who live around here, and when we put the bummer camp sign up on that, there was complaints from the neighbors, and they said like, there's a school right there, you can't be putting that up there. Even though it's like, it's a double entendre. Right. If your kids ask you what a bummer is, it's just like, oh, somebody who's not in a nice way, somebody who's not feeling very well, you feel a bit bummed out. Like, that's not, <laughs> that. <Right. laughs> yeah. but you know, we got complaints from the neighbors that like, it was like promoting whatever. Um. So I'm just wondering like, have has there been any negative feedback for Mirage being in here with these windows here, and being suddenly, what happens inside Islington Mill is very visible to people who don't even know that this place exists, or they just walk past it and go, it's oh, in there?" and they look in, and it's like it's a it's a it's a bar. It's like you know, it's it's got neon stuff in it. Like, has there been any you know, has anybody come in? Has it been a bit like, what is this place? Um,
1: not not in that respect, and certainly no one has been negative about, okay. about it, and. We're not really doing anything <clears throat> that sordid, anyway. <laughs> yeah. So, I think probably people just quite like the bright, the coloured light. Everyone just likes the coloured light, which actually is not my idea. Bill put them in, those uh, pink ones. Oh, yeah, cool. And um, that coloured light is what a lot of people have been saying yeah. is exciting about, particularly it, seeing yeah. it from the street. Yeah, because when
0: you see it from a distance, there's this like glow mm. of these things. Um, Could we talk about the colours then? Because, like, pink. one of the kind of defining things of both this and Lurid... Is
1: the kind of neon aesthetic? How would you describe this aesthetic? So, um, the, it's probably best to so de- describe the aesthetic w- and talk about the name at the same time. Okay. Um, because so the name of the project is Lurid Ultra Hybrid, mm-hmm. um, and it really it refers to kind of a creature that is lurid, radioactive. No, so lurid, brightly bright in colour. Mm-hmm ultra radioactive Mm. hybrid two uh, living things squished together into one new creature and it's essentially a creature that came into existence after nuclear winter and was charged with two creatures charged with radiation radiation and then got fused together Mm. Uh, and so that is the story of the name and so that is why all of the sculptures are Lit with UV light and are fluorescent because the life that grew back after nuclear winter is radioactive mm-hmm. basically and it's lit with UV light because uh, the, the the radiation burnt the sky and burnt the sun and so you just get UV light. Mm-hmm. The sun only emits UV light now basically right okay. But that's fine because the crops still grow. Everyone's happy. It what Looks does, great at sunset. What does Pat's makeup look like under this all this UV light? <laughs>
0: yeah, has she, has, has she changed her makeup game? Just shiny, babe. Just shiny. Yeah, <laughs> she looks like shit. Like what is? It's. I'm like, oh god. Right. So we're we're dealing in a in a, medium, and a lot of the stuff in here is very visual. Could you just give us a quick, just give the listeners a description of some of like this is your work that's in here. Mm. Could you give them a description of what the stuff is and kind of
1: what your aesthetic is? Absolutely, yes. So the sculptures are um, made, they've pretty much all got, just to talk about quickly how, how, they, how I built them, because people are always interested in that. Um, they've got timber frame, and then the bulk of it mm. is mostly expanding foam, and some of it's polystyrene. Mm. And the kind of, that texture that's like bobbly on these cacti that we're looking at over yeah. here is uh, that's kind of beads of expanding foam, basically. Mm-hmm and then the that is coated in plaster and PVA glue which sets really hard and uh, yeah so it's got a kind of gloopy dribbly bobbly <laughs> aesthetic and so most of the sculptures do yeah because uh, they've kind of I don't know maybe they've been like bubbling when they were burning in radiation or something like it's, that I'm it, it
0: also want. looks a bit um underwater
1: yeah it's it quite coral um
0: it? Oh, mollusk no not mollusk oh coral do you think coral, coral. Mm, coral. yeah very, very yeah. coral yeah. yeah, So how did you, like...
1: Tell me about your practice, your artistic okay. practice. Mm. Um, so I mostly make sculpture. So I also do props and setting set and props for telly. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but as an artist, I'm a sculptor, really, I can paint a bit, but it's not that good. <laughs> <laughs> Never, s- didn't stop a lot of them, eh? <laughs> Yeah, it's about effort. Mm. Uh, but no, so yeah, mostly I make sculpture, and um, I generally make sculpture about life, kind of weird nature. That's probably what all the sculptures are about. And mm. there's a big tree. So the, in um, the lurid tribe of the club, the tree, it's called the dragon blood tree. That is where the fruit from for the daiquiris actually comes from. So because I didn't actually mention that Mirage is a daiquiri bar, mostly a cocktail bar. Okay. And we make the daiquiris from the fruit of that dragon blood tree, mm-hmm. which is this huge radioactive kind of palm tree type of a vibe. And um, that's in the club and that's kind of like the emblem of the the club I guess yeah and yeah then the other the other sculpture is I mean there's loads of sculptures in there but but the other kind of big one at the moment is the fatberg which I made for um that was for the last fat out fest which was in october very good at dates but october Mm -hmm, yeah um this year and that one is a um fatberg that was just lying around, and it kind of gorged itself on radiation and sprouted these blooms, uh, which um, kind of—it was kind of a bit too much. There, there, the, the radi- there was too much of a radioactive charge, and it's made it sick. And he's gone and formed all down his front. <laughs> so that's why he's got orange foam all over his front. <laughs> what about this this
0: table that's here in the middle, that it's got like eggs things in it. Mm, booby table.
1: That one... Booby the, table. Booby table, yeah. You know? yeah. <laughs> yeah. That one is um, an altar in... Kind of in the, in the temple. It's kind of... I wanted it to have a slightly spiritual vibe as well. Mm-hmm. Um, it's also a goth bar. I haven't mentioned it's a goth bar. And, it's a very multicoloured goth bar. <laughs> yeah, we'll i <laughs> 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 Uh, so there's, there's kind of a little bit of... Like, I'm quite interested in having a little bit of religious Im- imagery mm-hmm. in here. Um, it's quite discreet though. I mean, it's not obviously an altar, that table, but that was what I was thinking about when I was making that table. Yeah. Hmm. It is quite like... It's such a
0: change for Islington Mill, just this... The being here. Like, how have you found
1: being in, in the mill? It would never have happened without Islington Mill. Okay. <clears throat> So, I'm extremely grateful to Islington Mill, Mm. and um, particularly Bill, Maury, Rachel, and Rivka, Mm -hmm. who have supported me in bringing this to life. And I met actually um, Bill and Maury. Though I met Maury first, um, but then it was at Core Artists Talking Circle that Bill said we've actually got space for your project, Um, and that is Greg Thorpe's project, who is also invested in Islington Mill as you Mm -hmm. know, and. So without Islington Mill, it just wouldn't have happened. It would still be an idea in my head. Mm. So it's amazing, really. Yeah, yeah. My dream has come to life through Islington Mill's support. Mm-hmm. And I'm yeah, just extremely grateful for all their help yeah. in making this happen.
0: Yeah, it's definitely like... I feel like it's the first... Because I feel like even the partisans have taken over the club space now. Oh, we did a podcast with them two podcasts ago talking about that. I feel like... Mirage Two, where we are at the moment, is the most kind of visible, openly, op- like visible and like up and running, openly kind of visible aspect of this new era of Islington Mill that we're going into, and it is this the whole like like I said before about opening up the wind these windows, so there's actually sunlight coming in here and people can see in and stuff. It's uh, yeah, it's an exciting time in terms of like what's going on at the mill, I know mean, I've been saying this in every podcast, it's kind of one of the reasons why I'm making these podcasts is document this time and all the different people and all the different yeah. work that's going on at Islington Mill at the moment, because it is very exciting, but I feel like Mirage is like the most visible and kind of out there accessible thing of that at the moment, because it's not finished yet, like they're still like looking out into the courtyard and they're still building out there and stuff and it's not fully functional up and running yet, but, um, but this is here and it's open quite a
1: lot. Like what have, What's been some of your favourite events that you've had here over the last couple of months? The Town that we just did was great, actually. So there was Partizan's event, Snob a brilliant event, mm. and, which is a queer event as well, so obviously it, it worked well for me. But we were open um, just really as a kind of chill-out zone for, for that night, and mm. it was just lovely to see people hanging out in here and to see it really busy. Mm. Uh, obviously, the last really big, gorgeous one was Fat Out Fest, when we actually brought it over here mm-hmm. uh, in October, and that mm. was really beautiful as well. It, yes. it, that, it just came to life then in this new yeah. space. So it's the first one. So actually, it was the the first one was the most gorgeous one. But then also the last one we did last Saturday, last Friday, I think, uh, was also yeah. really gorgeous. Just to see it full of people, basically, and yeah, and, yeah. See, and just to have people enjoying it. It's yeah. it just really nice. So just nice for cool. the listenership, in case anybody
0: is looking, is it for hire?
1: Absolutely, yes, for high for private parties. Yeah, mm-hmm. We're doing really private parties on Saturday nights and mm-hmm. open to the public on Friday nights.
0: Right, and Friday night is the daiquiri night.
1: Daiquiri night on Friday, yeah, yeah. yeah, absolutely. And do you
0: serve daiquiris at private parties as well, though?
1: Oh, if, yeah, yeah, we can do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's not two for one. <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, we can. Two for two. <laughs> two yeah. Because yeah,
0: yeah. 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 um, me and Bill had our joint birthday party over in yeah, the unit. Yeah, that uh,
1: that was... Was it Lourdes then, or was it still Mirage? I think it was kind of a bit of both then. Yeah. Yeah, it it wasn't, I hadn't kind of fully fleshed out the idea of when, when is it Mirage, when is it Lourdes at that time? It was probably, probably Mirage, I think, really. Yeah, so I would say it was Mirage probably. Yeah.
0: Okay, I think, uh, yeah, there's a lot of great information there. Um, But to wrap up, how can people get involved in this whole project if they want to?
1: It's really, really important to me that uh, people can get involved in this project very easily. Uh, There there shouldn't be any barriers um, preventing anyone that wants to get involved to get involved. And so what I'm really keen to happen is that this is an entry point into the queer scene, perhaps for people that are new to Manchester or Mm -hmm. certainly new to the queer scene, Mm -hmm. where they can suddenly, easily access... The alternative scene, find out what 's going on mm. and meet new people yeah and so what I would like is if it became known that this was a place that you could just show up to on your own you don 't need friend like you don 't need to come with a pal, mm. just come in, introduce yourself to me, and we 'll hang out we 'll probably get lashed mm. and um, yeah, you can get involved and i 'll tell you about what 's going on in the queer scene that 's mm. a, a really big part of um, of my plan for the bar is that it's somewhere that you come to on your own, if you want. I mean, you can come with your pals, obviously, mm. but it's, it's for people that are new to the queer scene. And new to Islington Mill as well. Yeah, because it it's weird, like, the
0: mill hasn't... It's kind of lost the kind of social side of itself over the last five years with the club space not being a club anymore. But I think um, now that that's coming back into, like, very much the central centre of Islington Mill's identity... And also, I feel like Islington Mill in itself has kind of come out the closet a bit and kind of is projecting a lot more of its queerness in its identity. Right. I think that's like, yeah, that's a really, that's something that people both need and is really well facilitated
1: here, I think. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And and that's why I always felt Islington Mill would be the place for this. Yeah. Because it has a a long queer history Mm. and... I, I just felt if it's, if it's going to be anywhere, it'll be at it Mill Yeah. And it was, it turned out, yeah. <laughs> dreams do come true. They do come true, yeah. Yes. <laughs> Post-apocalyptic, glow-in-the-dark nightmare dreams do come true. <laughs> yeah. Right. Thank you very much. Cheers, Al, you thanks. Go- Goodbye.
0: <laughs>